Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, it's Brad. I have connected finally with Brian Grin over in Chicago. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, you know, we, we get a lot of emails. Uh, people want to be on the podcast pitching their book or whatever they're pitching. We have to ignore most of them. Uh, and then, you know, yours caught my eye because you, you just said, hey, I want to talk about this. want to talk about that. Intermittent fasting. I'm a big fan. Uh, P.S. I'm a scratch golfer. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> wow, man. Come on. How do you get that good? And then we started getting some good email exchanges uh, some screwed up Skype times, including me totally blowing one off. But I will say that I had a great time up in Tahoe out on the boat that day. And now we finally have landed to discuss the important matters. Um, I guess, first and foremost, how do you shoot par on a golf course, man? That's that's fa- fabulous. Well, shooting par takes time, takes time, a lot of, lot of, lot of effort, a lot of time. Um, yeah, you got to be passionate about the game. And I, I was lucky to start at an early age and uh, just kept it going and played in high school and college. And yeah, just still play. But it's tough. Once you get to a certain level, it's tough to get over that hump. So I've been, I guess I've been stuck at around a scratch for a long time. And I'd love to get into the pluses, but, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Right. The listeners should know that if you go out to a typical golf course in your community, and, you know, there's a hundred players, I would say, you can correct me, but, you know, probably on average one out of a hundred is shooting at or near par. But you just mentioned that there's a whole nother level of like a tournament player, even a, a, a small professional event, you know, not the stuff on TV, but the, we have these guys that are, you know, routinely shooting well under par in order to earn money in the sport. So, man, oh, yeah. it's fascinating because anyone who's tried it knows how difficult it is. So, um I'm honored to speak to a, a real player out there. And I think, you know, just your offhanded comments that it takes time, you have to be passionate about it, and we're here trying to record a show about uh, ketogenic eating and fasting, uh, but, you know, what a beautiful transition to think, yeah, this is not uh, fun and games where you can just jump out there and be a super-duper keto beast and fast your way to health and, uh, and uh, you know, longevity. Uh, it's something that requires some some work and some effort to get your metabolic function optimized, and in many cases, uh, fix some some stuff that's broken, such as your gut health or uh, decades and decades of carbohydrate dependency, yo-yo dieting, things like that. So there we have the segue, man. You you work hard, you focus, you get good at golf, uh, and even your comment about uh, you know a plateau and how to break through. We can probably weave that into the conversation as well because a lot of people are there with their their diet and their body composition. Yeah, no, definitely a good segue. Um, I would say the plateau is is a big one, um, and it was one for me. Like I'm I'm a pretty clean eater, and uh, I've just gotten older. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, my weight I wasn't even looking to lose weight when I got into fasting. I was just looking to lean out a little bit more because. I was doing the same things that I was doing, you know, I'm 38. I was doing the same things I was doing 10 years ago, but it wasn't working as well. And, uh, I actually found out about fasting through, through a friend, um, 
who was like pre-diabetic and she got all her numbers back to normal from fasting. So <clears throat> I was intrigued and studied it a bunch, um, decided to come out with a journal as well. And yeah, I just got into it. It changed my body and got it, got it back to what it was like 10 years ago. So, um, I was excited to share it with the world. So, uh, what was your baseline existence? Were you in the low carb pattern or where'd you come from? Uh, you know, let's say starting at 28 when you claim to be in top shape and then wanting to, wanting to get those same results when you're 38. Yeah, I would say I was just, I wasn't in a certain category. I mean, I was just a clean eater. I ate a, a lot of salads. Uh, I was, I'm not a big meat eater. So I was a lot of just fish, um, vegetables, uh, not a lot, not a lot of refined carbs and sugars and things like that. So I was a clean eater, but, uh, I was sort of missing the piece of, of, uh, of fasting, which, which really has sort of changed, changed the game for me. Right. So you decided to try something else to, to, you know, kind of break through the plateau. And what was your, what was your initial exposure to the concept? Did you have a, a book or a resource or did you just kind of, um, cough up something one day and, and see what happened. Yeah. So I actually, um, uh, studied, uh, Dr. Jason Fung, who, uh, has written a bunch of, a, a decent amount of books and has a great blog as well regarding fasting and other aspects as well. Um, and so just studying him and his work, uh, got me into it. And, um, yeah, from there, I just, slowly implemented it into my life. Uh, and that's what I always recommend anyone looking to get into intermittent fasting is, um, I just pushed my breakfast, continually pushed my breakfast back an hour, uh, until I got to like noon. Uh, so I just worked at it that way. Uh, some people maybe can do it differently, but that was the way I got into it. And, uh, now, yeah, now it's, it's like anything. It's like, you know, it's like golf, right? You work at it, you work at it. Now it's no big deal. So at least for me, but I know for other people, it's, it takes time. Well, it sounds like with that approach, it's probably not a huge deal along the way if you're just gradually progressing there. And uh, I don't know how your pattern was. Did you stair-step it down in a, a methodical manner or was it a little bit uh, spontaneous, like fits and starts and, and just working, working toward uh, a later breakfast over time? Uh well, I will say this. I think what helps is the fact that I was a pretty clean eater going into it. Um, I think that made it easier because um, I had less swings of like insulin. My insulin and blood sugar was was on less swings, so I think it made it easier to get into fasting. But I, yeah, I just took it like I just started, just took a day and just gradually pushed back breakfast an hour uh, over a few weeks, and then it. it you know, got me to about noon, which is where I wanted to get to. And then how did you break the fast? Did you have a certain standard meal? Yeah, I, I you know what? I, I pretty much had what I had for lunch normally. So um, I would just skip breakfast. I used to have just like uh, for breakfast, I used to have, um, I mean, back in the day, I used to have cereal, which we know it's not good. <laughs> so, but, but uh, over the last, uh, whatever, like we said, 10 years or so, I ate like this go raw granola, which I, I I do enjoy, but I stopped eating it. That was the big thing I cut out, I'd say. And then I just went straight to lunch um, and made the, the normal lunch that I had before, which is pretty much a big salad with some type of protein and a bunch of different, you know, different, bunch of different vegetables. Um, I, I actually noticed that then 
from that point on, like I, I only really had two meals a day at that point. I, I didn't feel like I needed anything more. I was, you know, I thought maybe I'd have three meals and just in, in a smaller time period, but my body just didn't, wasn't asking for it. So I was just listening to my body. Yeah. I guess if you're not eating until noon, and then we all know that we are spending our night sleeping where we don't need a lot of food, you're probably going to default into two meals a day because by the time it's 8 or 9 p.m., hopefully anyway, you're not consuming any more calories. So that, that seems like a natural way to do it. Yeah, it just made sense. And um, it was, yeah, it was just sort of, I, I think going through this, you just realized, well, I don't actually need all this food. You know, like I think the, the more you eat, the more hungry you are to some degree, right? So, <laughs> um, and I find that with fasting as well. Like I would tell someone, um, you know, be strict about the fasting period because even if you have a little something, that will that will fire. Uh, you know, you'll start your you'll start getting more hungry. Like your ghrelin levels uh, will react to that, and you'll want to you'll want to eat more. So when you're fasting, really do the fast, um, which I typically have like water, tea, or coffee um, with no sweeteners or no you know nothing in it. Black coffee. So. Yeah, we're getting more refined discussing this concept and trying to correct. I think it's still out there, but I always make that point of saying, uh, you know, fasting means not consuming any energy. Mm. Uh, Water, of course, is uh, separate from that, but anything else, and you're not fasting. So you hear people say, yeah, I'm on a brown rice fast for seven weeks, (laughs) or I'm doing a juice fast, or this sort of thing. And then even the term intermittent fast is sort of a redundancy because fasting is what you're doing between eating. So I'm, I'm arguing to, to get rid of that term and just call it fasting, but so far no one's listening to me. Uh, but I think that's a good point where um, to be strict about it and to uh, announce to yourself that this is my fasting period. And so no, reaching for the M&M bowl is not part of that because I think we're so uh, we, we have so much free choice and so much indulgence and temptation that if you're not in a uh, disciplined exercise to fast, or in your case, increase your fasting window, you tend to get sidetracked by anything that's stuck in front of your face. So it's another built-in success factor to say that you're, you know, you're, you're not starting your food uh, experience until a certain hour of the day. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, you're, I mean, you will have hunger, you'll have hunger pains and you might get headaches and things like that. Um, but you know, mineral water helps, uh, with headaches and things like that. And, um, yeah, the waves come and go, the hunger waves come and go. Um, I've done some 24 hour fasts. I know some people do even longer fasts and uh, I actually find I have more energy at the end of the day. I find I'm, I have more mental acuity and I'm, I'm the sharpest. I have clear thinking. Um, it, and it's, it's amazing. I, I know there's a big community out there that does like one meal a day, um, which I've done sometimes. I've thought about doing, but for my case, I have to watch, make sure I don't get too, too lean. I know some people might not like that, but my, I don't want to get too lean, too like uh, lean, I guess I would say. So, well, in general, there's a little bit of risks there of overdoing it, uh, especially in the population that's still lingering in some 
level of carbohydrate dependency. So a point we make a lot in the keto reset diet and on the mastery course is that you have to be prepared for an endeavor like this, because if you're not, and you just listen to this podcast between Brad and Brian and decide tomorrow that you're not going to eat your first meal until 12 noon, what's going to happen is you'll kick into the stress response and you will make whatever glucose you need to fuel your brain function uh, during the morning hours through fight or flight uh, gluconeogenesis, breaking down lean muscle tissue, converting it into glucose. So the fasting has these tremendous benefits. We've known in science it's undisputed that your immune function is better, your cognitive function, your metabolic function is more efficient, cellular repair, autophagy, things like that when you're in a fasted state. But you don't want to be in a stressed fasted state. So I wonder uh, with those, those headaches and hunger pains, um, now we're getting into some nuance here where, and this, I remember covering this very carefully in the Keto Reset Diet book, where at what point do you give in to that growling stomach and honor your hunger cravings? And at what point do you say, uh, you know what, I think I can make it another hour. I'm going to use some distraction techniques. You mentioned that a little bit in your email, so maybe you can get into that uh, and, and have strike that fine balance where it's not super easy. It's not easy breezy. Like sometimes we overcharacterize how fun and exciting it is to not eat until whatever time because you're so fat adapted. Uh, but in real life, everyone else is munching down and you're walking around pacing and, and wondering what the right course of action is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you definitely want to listen to your body first and foremost. And, uh, and that's the nice thing about fasting is uh, you, it, the simplicity, simplicity, the flexibility, um, you can do it anywhere. Doesn't cost anything. Um, I think fasting hasn't become mainstream because no one makes money when people fast, right? Um, so, but going back to your as far as like uh, hunger pains and stuff, um, I would just say like and like I said before, if you if you've never fasted before, ease into it, and um, you can honor your hunger pains and have something. But you know, sometimes you got to push yourself a little bit, you know, and um, and I, I would just recommend uh, the best time to do the fast and the times that I've done the longer fasts are when I'm the most busy, when my mind is doing other things. Um, I'm sure we've all had days where we're really busy at work and you don't even realize that you skip lunch um, and, you're, and, you know, you just fasted for a, a good while. Um, and so I would just say that's, that's the biggest thing is keep your mind active during these times. Drink plenty of water. Um, you can have some warm liquid, like a warm tea. Um, and, um, yeah. And, and like, you know, with, with the whole keto ketogenic diet, I mean, obviously eating fats during your, your feeding hours, uh, will help as well and help, help, you know, help the satiety and, um, you know, keep you full longer. Yeah. I think that's picking up the benefits the following day. So if you have some keto-aligned meals or generally high-fat, uh, low-carb, getting rid of the uh, processed carbs on Tuesday, and then you wake up on Wednesday and you decide, yeah, I'm going to try to fast, I'm going to try to extend out to 12 noon or whatever I can do, 11 a.m., if you uh, didn't spike that insulin and glucose the previous day, you're going to wake up and your hunger hormones are going to be uh, moderated, your insulin's going to be level, and you should have a much easier time. I know. I have many times uh, past references where I kind of uh, purposely or spontaneously, you know, 
blew out of a, a ketogenic phase with, you know, a nice popcorn binge in the evening or making some of my world famous sweet potato discs that I burn most of the time. I have pictures on Instagram of my burnt sweet potato discs, but you know, I have a big carbohydrate uh, binge the previous day. And on those next mornings, I notice that I wake up and I'm much more hungry than usual, which is usually not at all. And then some of those mornings I'm walking around looking for food. So that comment you made about the more you eat, the more hungry you get, uh, that's pretty interesting. And that's a difficult thing to unwind for a lot of people, it seems. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I like to start people because I, I coach some people into, into, into fasting is first just start with uh, cleaning up what you're eating. So, I mean, if, 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 you, if you did eat a lot of refined carbs and things like that and pastas and breads and things like that, uh, first clean up your eating first. Um, I think that's what made fasting maybe a little bit easier perhaps for me than maybe just someone that would uh, not come from like clean eating is, is um, it just made it easier for me to fast. But that, that would be the first recommendation before uh, doing it is clean up the eating or get with a health coach or someone that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we, I think we all know what to eat, right? I think that gets beaten into our heads. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming most of the audience understands what we should be eating. It's, uh, but what we don't talk about is when you should eat. And I think that's the big thing that can be the missing puzzle is, uh, shortening, uh, the duration of when you're eating. So tell me about your client services, what you do, and how has it gone with introducing uh, disparate types of folks from different uh, fitness commitments and different dietary backgrounds into this fasting protocol? Yeah, well, I mean, I worked with a lot of people um, through like strength training and things like that. And um, the number one question I would get is like, they want to have abs. And uh, it's all about the abs, man. Yeah, right. That's, that's Chicago is obsessed with abs. Yeah, well, that's a known thing, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Chicago is obsessed with abs. So yeah, and um, after a while, I just you know it, it just dawned on me that you know strength training is to build strength and muscle, but if you want abs, it's it's about eating right and also fat. To me, for me, intermittent fasting, and so. I just found really good results with people with that. Um, and, uh, but again, it, like I said, it takes time. Um, and this is something you sort of want to build up. Um, but that was, you know, a lot of my clients were strong, plenty strong, but they weren't really happy with the way they looked, uh, especially around the midsection. I think that's like a common question. I get a lot of males um, as the years go on, just that midsection just seems to go. And, um, and really the best way to, to clean that up is diet, uh, what to eat and then when we eat. And so, uh, that's probably the number one question I get. So that's a good one liner, man. So, you know, you, with, with your guns, that's about lifting weights with your, with your, you know, uh, sick quads with all the separation. That's about going out there and pedaling the bike. But with your abs, it's about fasting. It's about the diet part. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, a, that's a good one to consider. I know in the endurance community as well, we have people that are putting in 10, 12, 17 hours a week of you know, challenging exercise mm. uh, of sort of different sports, you know, putting in those miles, but uh, not experiencing the desired 
reduction of excess body fat, which is such a huge performance improver, all other things being equal. If you run a marathon and you're 10 pounds lighter, it's going to be a, a huge improvement in your time just from carrying around less weight. So it's a really, it's a frustrating topic for many people. And I think we've been socialized with this mindset that uh, we can exercise away the excess pounds with more time and energy output to the workouts. And it's been proven to be untrue. You can go onto Google, we'll put it in the show notes, where um, there was a cover story uh, in Time Magazine called The Exercise Myth. It was a couple years ago, and it basically was talking about this scientifically validated concept known as the compensation theory, where if you go do a vigorous workout, you will account for that workout in assorted different ways to consume more calories the rest of that day and be less active and burn fewer calories. Even when you're sitting at your desk, because you did your 5.30 a.m. spin class, you're going to burn at a slightly lower rate the rest of the day. And it's a way to adjust and recover from the stress of exercise. And you end up with a net uh, zero or close to it when you're talking about how exercise is contributing to your fat reduction goals. Of course, if you go into extreme mode and you start training for the Ironman triathlon, uh, yeah, you're going to get leaner than you were the previous year when you were doing 5Ks and all that. But by and large, the exercise route has been proven to be an extremely frustrating and inefficient way to tackle that uh, body composition goal. So mm-hmm. getting into the uh, that, that simple objective of just waiting until you eat breakfast seems like a reasonable place to start for many people. Well, how about just uh, for a lot of people, it, just having starting off with having just three meals a day, right? Like I think it's hammered into us that we should be eating six, seven meals a day, like just grazing all the time. And, um, and I would say if you're looking into getting into, maybe you've hit a plateau or you're looking to maybe getting into fasting, maybe cut those six, seven meals a day where you're snacking all throughout the day and just have three meals and start there. And then after the three meals, um, well, along with that, then just start cleaning up what you're eating in those three meals. And then after that, you can go into doing intermittent fasting. So you can definitely sort of like step your way into it. Um, and um, because I used to be the same, I used to eat six, seven meals a day, eat all the time, even if it was healthy stuff. But I just, I wasn't getting the results um, that I wanted. Yeah, I guess if you're in that snacking mode, or you're giving yourself permission, or in my case, in my previous years, uh, I would surround myself with healthy, nutritious snacks, including my uh, best chosen energy bars that were made with natural ingredients. Of course, most of this stuff was high in carbohydrates, so I'd find when I'd snack on my almonds and dried mangoes, what a healthy snack, uh, and then I would need some more almonds and dried mangoes, and then an hour later, I'd need some more almonds and dried mangoes, <laughs> and you just you just get into that picture. Now, that stuff's not going to kill you, Mm-mm. right? Snacking on almonds and dried mangoes and eating healthy meals is not going to kill you, but when we're talking about that goal of getting further metabolic efficiency, better cell repair, more longevity, and especially dropping that spare tire, that's when we can uh, aspire to transition to a new strategy where we don't have to be uh, dependent on any food, even healthy, a primal-approved, keto-approved snacks. There's another level to get to, and that is shortening that eating window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal for most people would be, and I know in the keto world, is to be a fat burner, right? 
Um, and I know there's different, there's different studies or arguing points into when you become that in ketosis and become a fat burner. And it's probably different for everybody. Um, so yeah, getting those levels of insulin low and, um, and allowing your body to, to use its own energy. Right. Yeah. So you talk about staying busy was one of your tips. Love that. So you have this goal of, uh, reaching till 12 noon, let's say, um, if you're on vacation at the, at the, at the pool side and the waiters coming by with pineapple cocktails, it might be tougher than if you have a busy day at work or carpooling and volu- volunteering in the kids' classroom, what have you. So that staying busy, uh, another element you might add to that is, uh, moving around because we know that keeping active with just basic movement is going to, uh, turbocharge fat burning, uh, by comparison when you're sitting even for a short time, as little as 20 minutes, there's a noticeable effect of kicking into uh, more fat storage, insulin-resistant mode. So when we're trying to fast and we're struggling, um, perhaps getting up and walking around would be uh, a, a big ticket item to help keep you going for another hour rather than thinking that you have hit the wall and you have to eat now or you're going to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're on vacation... And like you've been, I feel like if you've been doing fasting for quite a while and it's just become a part of your lifestyle, I mean, I, if I'm on vacation, I, I, I don't really, it doesn't, I, I can go back to my old ways of eating, let's just say. And, and then when I'm done with vacation, I can come back and go back into my normal schedule. Uh, but I do agree. You want to stay busy. And, uh, and I think that, that that's probably the easiest way to get through the times of, of, uh, fasting. I mean, yeah. Another thing I was talking about on a recent show with Brian McAndrew, the man behind the, the audio productions and the videos and very, uh, devoted keto enthusiast and also, um, high profile exerciser in the strength and power, uh, emphasis. He said, you know, when you narrow your, uh, decisions down because you've made a commitment to a certain way of eating such as keto or such as fasting, it becomes actually easier than you might think looking at the outside and wondering how your coworker doesn't eat anything till 12 noon. Can you believe that? Nothing, not even, not even a bite. But because you have uh, made that commitment, you don't have that decision fatigue of, should I have my snack here at 10.15 or should I wait till 11.30 and go all the way to the break room and all these things that come into our brain when we have no boundaries, no limits, and no regulators. And um, you know, it's, it's paradoxical because we humans don't like to be deprived of anything. Right. You know, we want our free choice all the time. We're the most demanding consumers in the history of the earth where, you know, uh, I was out there at the, uh, at the car place yesterday berating these guys just for fun. But I was playing my acting role of saying, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. How can you look yourself in the mirror? You know, cause like they kept my car there. Uh, and didn't realize for two hours that they couldn't work on it. And I was just smiling, walking away later, like, you know, it was kind of screwed what they did to me at Firestone. But in the big picture, these guys are having a stressful, busy day. It's 100 degrees out there in the in the shop. And, um, you know, they forgot to uh, honor their mission statement that's pasted on the wall. Um, you know, carry on, no big deal. But I think we we get so sidetracked in real life with, you know... Uh, having the exact perfect meal presented down, otherwise we're going to send it back mm-hmm. to the kitchen and nitpick. And oh, we're stressed if we can't find 
you know, the most perfect foods on our, on our traveling journey through airports, uh, instead of just sitting back and saying, well, I guess I'll just fast today <laughs> and not worry about, you know, missing out on every single meal being perfect and uh, optimally desirable for your, your favorite foods and all that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the biggest thing also is, I mean, let's just, if you talk about skipping breakfast is, I mean, you have more time to do stuff in the morning. Uh, for me, the morning's the most productive part of the day. Um, and so I try to get most of my stuff done in the morning and, uh, I find I just have more time now. I don't have to worry about eating breakfast or, you know, I know people who maybe, uh, have to have a long commute. Um, they got to get up earlier so you can sleep more. If you want to sleep more, if you want to do something else like yoga or meditate or, you know, do some other work, uh, the morning for me and for, I think for a lot of people is probably, it can be a very productive time and it can be more productive if you're fasting and not worrying about breakfast. Yeah, that's a great one. And I've heard other people talk about that where they're, they, they want to have a super, peak performance day. And that includes long stretches of time without eating because they don't have to hassle it. And we, we all want to make a commitment to healthy eating. And maybe you don't have time to prepare a lavish omelet with slicing up the mushrooms and sauteing them uh, while you're rushing around trying to get off to work. Unfortunately, most people will instead uh, stop by Starbucks and get a 478 calorie beverage with a crap ton of sugar in there, uh, thanks to their handy dandy app, which is awesome. I will say I love going in and picking up something that's already made for me. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. There's my thing. Bye. You know, everyone's in line going, what's this guy? However, I'm <laughs> extremely offended and calling them out because the default setting on the app for their uh, a lot of their teas and liquid beverages is seven pumps of liquid cane sugar. Not zero where you have to hit plus, plus, plus if you want three, but you have to go into the app, find that sub window and hit the minus key seven times to get your seven pumps of sugar out of there. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is, this is what the world has come to now. We're addicted to sugar. Right. Well, they know what they're doing, right? I mean, it's all about profit. But <laughs> Just like you said, they're, they're serving up that drink knowing that they're going to see you in, in three hours and 20 <laughs> minutes for another hit. Right. After you crash. <laughs> yeah, no, all good points. I mean, I think the biggest thing, people are like, oh, well, what should my exact fasting window be? I mean, there's no exact anything. I think you just have to fit it into your lifestyle. Um, and I think that's most important. Like I know dinners in a really important time of the day, maybe your family gets together, maybe your family doesn't get together for, for dinner, but whatever that is, um, if, if it's really important for you to eat dinner as a family, then have that be your, you know, part of your feeding window. If you know, you're, you never know what to eat at night. And let's say you work late all the time. Maybe you do have breakfast and lunch and you skip dinner. Um, you know, I think you have to fit it into your lifestyle because that will keep it, that will make it a, that will turn it into a lifestyle for you, if that makes sense. Um, nice. Exactly. Right. If it's not feeling comfortable and smooth and convenient, you are destined to fail, period. That's just how it goes. I don't care how disciplined and focused you are. Even Peter Atia, who's as we, as we know, one of the world's leading longevity physicians and experts in the field uh, of keto and low carb and uh, you know, the breaking science. He just launched that wonderful podcast called The Drive, where we're talking to the, you know, the absolute cutting edge of, of health and dietary science. And he himself uh, is a known uh, human guinea pig doing these incredible self-experiments, taking things out to the very edge 
injecting himself with insulin and uh, almost almost passing out and crazy stuff. He's done these extreme endurance feats also. And he did a three-year stint of virtually nonstop nutritional ketosis where he had a glucose meter surgically implanted into his abdomen so that on his smartphone he could get his real-time glucose 24-7 for three consecutive years with logging everything on spreadsheets and just going deep into the keto thing to see what happens. And he says recently, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore because it's too much hassle. That was his uh, rationale, even though he said he felt great and it worked out well and his his blood numbers and everything, and he, he's a strong uh, you know advocate of uh, doing things to promote longevity, including minimizing your overall insulin response, optimally minimal insulin production, uh, but just the, the sheer uh, effort involved in adhering to a strict diet uh, spun even him out, who would be, you know, you'd think the last guy that would say something like, yeah, too much hassle. So all of us leading normal lives and not part, you know, the research on our diet is not fundamental to our career efforts. Yeah, it can get a little complex and difficult to follow. And that's when we start setting ourselves up for uh, backslides, burnouts, and rebound effect where you care so little about what you're eating because you tried so hard and were so obsessed about it that you're going to go and um, go hit the fast food or whatever you're doing. Yeah, and, and you know, another, I think, <clears throat> benefit is is when you when you start getting in, into fasting is you start to be in control more like i think sometimes food controls us I, i'm sure people have this issue uh where they feel like their day is just like i don't know bordered around what they eat and when they eat and they just feel like that that the food's in control but when you're when you get into fasting you feel like like you're in control like you you can decide when you want to eat and you really have a true feel on am i really hungry because a lot a lot of times we eat we're just eat because we're just used to eating at that time and in our mind it just like it sing, our hunger hormones single us uh, signal us to eat um but when you start getting the fasting you realize that you're not really truly hungry um you know i laugh i go out to dinner with my family and if it's like you know, the 15 minutes pass when we're supposed to eat, we're in like starvation mode. <laughs> it's like, God forbid, you know? Yeah. I mean, the entire society is pretty much addicted to food and uh, plugged into these rituals that the marketing forces have seized upon uh, and, and told us our entire lives that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you should eat this brand of cereal because it's got more fiber than the other brand, and this stuff has been implanted into our into our psyche that we need to unwind and say, no, you guys are full of crap. Uh, we're going with this ancestral model where our ancestors were very rarely assured of steady, nonstop food and overfeeding pattern that most of us have been engaged in for years and decades. So, uh, yeah, we're getting off some really good insights and comments that hopefully will motivate and inspire you to get started with fasting if you're listening and you haven't tried it much. It doesn't have to be scary. It's not difficult. If it is, you take uh, a few steps back and uh, remember Brian's strategy of just adding an hour to your morning breakfast and then an hour and a half and then two hours or whatever works. And speaking of that, I think um, you know what I've discovered is uh, a spontaneous, intuitive approach works best for me where... Uh, Quite frequently, I'm fasting until 12 noon or thereabouts, and then other days I'm having this super-duper uh, morning smoothie that's um, 
my, my viral YouTube video or soon to be viral if all of you go over there and click on it and, and share it with 100 people uh, where I make this nutritious concentrated source of energy and oftentimes first thing in the morning uh, to support my athletic goals and you know just, just mix things up in case I'm going to be busy during the day and not have a fabulous lunch at 12 noon like I might if I was fasting until then. So you know the rules are your own but adhering to these big picture principles of making your body good at uh, burning fat, keeping that fat burning machine going by, uh, you know, skipping meals now and then and moving around uh, throughout your day. That's what we're getting at. And, you know, make it work for you with whatever particulars you're, you're going to enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like to mix it up sometimes too. Like I said, like you can, like, if you've never, like, if you've been doing fasting for a while and you keep doing, let's say you're doing your fasting for 16 hours and you're eating for eight hours, you know, maybe one day try to do a 20 hour fast. Um, and then you can go back to your regular. I think, I think it's good to mix it up with the body and to keep it sort of, um, keep it, keep it on its toes. Um, cause that was sort of like back in the day, the paleolithic life style was, you know, they didn't know where their next meal was coming and they lived with periods of low food availability and it's been just a part of human history for a while. Um, so no, I agree with all that. So what's happened with your clients? What kind of reports do you get? Uh, success rate, things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I came out, it's been like a year or so I came out with the simple intermittent fasting journal and it's a 21 day guide to help making, um, fasting a lifestyle change. And so really the goal of it is just to what we talked about here to get people uh, pushing back breakfast and learning what to eat, but when to eat. And uh, I mean, the, the, the results have been great. I mean, um, individuals who thought they, they, they couldn't lose any more weight or had a, let's just say uh, a bit of a tire around their uh, waist. Uh, it's, it's, it's helped, uh, a numerous amount of people, uh, get results. And, uh, some people, it might take a few months. Some, some people might take a year. Uh, I think it just depends on your background and your history, um, of dieting and where you're at, uh, as far as, you know, I mean, I've worked with people who are pre-diabetic. Um, but also I will say, you know, you want to have, um, there's certain people that maybe aren't right for fasting. So, um, just make sure that you just consult with your physician, obviously, uh, especially if you are diabetic. Um, obviously, this is not for kids uh, under the age of, let's say, 18. Uh, if you're underweight, pregnant, uh, or like breastfeeding mother, uh, it's not going to be for you. Uh, but anyways, just make sure you have guidance. Um, that's the biggest thing. And, and with someone who's a professional, when you're getting into uh, into your fasting routine. So if you're doing pretty well and you're going along, you've been fasting better for a couple few months and you hit sort of a plateau with, the, with regard to your weight loss goal or some sort of struggle, um, just like you mentioned uh, a golfer trying to get better and now uh, the person is very competent and they're shooting 80 and 79 and 83 and 81 which is a fantastic score if you keep score properly. Most people don't, right? They say, yeah, I shoot around 80, and then they go into a tournament and they shoot 101 when they have to make their one-foot putts. But generally speaking, if you've, be, if you've gained some competency and you want to get down to scratch, 
that's the parlance for a player that shoots right at even par or a zero handicap. You don't have to adjust their score when you're betting with other golfers. How do you get down to scratch as a uh, a fasting enthusiast or someone who wants to get those get those abs glistening for uh, summers in Chicago on on the lake? Well, I, I I think the best way if you've been doing the same type of fast for a while, like I said, mix it up. Try a day fast. Try I I have not done a my next goal is to do a three day fast. Um, I have not done that yet. I'm just uh, that'll be coming soon. But um, so I would say that would be the biggest thing is if you've been doing it for a while and it's become somewhat easy because it does get easier the more you do it, uh, mix up the time periods that you're fasting um, and and it should help you become more of a scratch faster <laughs> per se. So And if it's getting too tough and I'm, I'm getting headaches, uh, the hunger hormones are going crazy at 8.15 in the morning. Um, where, when do I kind of push through it a little bit? And when do I just say, all right, time to settle that back down into maybe cleaning up my diet more or something like that? Well, I would say that obviously if you're doing a longer term fast, I mean, you can go about your normal activities, but maybe make sure it's, you know, you maybe do something like light activities. Um, I mean, if you're, if it's getting to the point where you're, you know, maybe you're feeling dizzy and things like that. Then you know, listen to your body, and you can always try it another time if you wanted to try like a longer fast. I mean, I think the first time I did a did one where I fasted from let's just say um, eight p.m. the night before all the way into the the all the way not past the next day into the next morning. You know, I went to sleep all the way in a fasted state, thinking, "Oh, how am I going to feel in the morning?" And I actually felt fine. I went for a light walk and felt fine. Like I was just sort of monitoring how I felt. And it was, so I just kept going. Um, so I just think being in tune with it. And if you feel like you really need to have something, then that's fine. I mean, you know, you can always do a try it again. <laughs> you can always do a try it again. You come to Brian's gym, he gives you a try it again card tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I, I love that because we're also uh, a little bit susceptible to feeling like failures today when we have our Instagram feed with people in their bathing suits and their tans and saying, fasting rocks. Here's me on the beach in Hawaii. Wish you were here. Sorry, you're in your freaking cubicle uh, munching on an energy bar when you promised you were going to go till 12. And so when we get discouraged, especially that sensation of feeling discouraged, that's when we can easily fall off track. So I'd encourage listeners to, you know, to never get discouraged about this stuff, but just use everything as feedback and R&D. And so an R&D can be uh, the day that you woke up were starving and slammed uh, a bowl of oatmeal uh, at the buffet breakfast uh, when you intended to fast. <laughs> and you can note that down in your journal and decide you know, how it affected your body. How did you feel the next few hours? What are you going to do the next day to try again? Maybe not have such a big hot fudge Sunday the night before, for example. And then we're just carrying on and everything is, um, everything is progress and learning and personal growth rather than uh, a scoreboard where we won or lost in the fasting battle. I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't, I don't think there's too much more to add with that. I mean, <clears throat> um, you know, you're, you're probably your toughest critic. So another thing I will say is like, um, I think when I started doing the fasting, I didn't really say anything to anybody um, because I think there's just, uh, I don't know, this outlook in, ma- in the mainstream, in the media, but also in people probably around you that, 
you tell them you're fasting, they think like you're like starving yourself and you know, they're, they're probably going to try to talk you out of it. So I would, I would just don't tell anyone who's not supportive. Um, you know, be sure to surround yourself with people who are positive and who understand that, you know, this is normal, <laughs> like not eating eight times a day is almost abnormal or actually, I'm sorry, eating eight times a day is abnormal. What you're doing? <laughs> what? What are you talking yeah, about? So, anyways, just support. Just don't. I would not tell anyone who's not supportive. Like I've gone days where I fasted. No one even knows the difference, and I just don't say anything, and we go on with our lives, and we all we're all happy. All right, Brian. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Thanks yeah. for catching up. I I love those inspirational insights about making it work for you and keeping it into a um, a smooth and convenient pattern into your life trying again, getting a do-over card the next day. Uh, how can we find out more about what you're doing? Do you have an internet presence you want to send people? I do have a website, uh, Brian Grin. So B-R-I-A-N-G-R-Y-N is in nancy.com. And uh, uh, yeah, on there, my journal's on there. I do a weekly health blog um, where I talk about topics like intermittent fasting. I just had a keto guest actually just write a, a, a spot about... Uh, getting into ketosis. So I hit on all different topics, uh, obviously fasting, including, uh, in, in, as well. So yeah, BrianGrin.com is probably the best way to get, to get in touch. Love it. It's a good site. It has some good stuff on there. Thank you listeners for joining Brian and I, good luck with your fasting efforts. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance.